0: Welcome to another episode of the Speech Change podcast. Today with Abina Amanat. Hi, Abina. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Jonathan. Excited to be here and speak with you.
0: Yes, perfect. Uh, I already said it prior to this. It's uh, you know it, it took some while to to uh, to to get this get this going, uh, but I'm happy that we're doing this. And um, you know we we already talked about some things before. You are uh, involved in a lot of things. Uh, have a very interesting career so far, and uh, some very interesting work that you've done. And um, you know, as as always, we we start the podcast in the same way, uh, in the sense that obviously we would like to know, you know, who is it that we're talking with. And so, kind of, you know, for the first question of today, you know, uh, it would be great if you could kind of give us an insight on, um, you know, your your career so far. Where are you coming from? How did it started? And you know, how did you get where you are today?
1: I feel I have a very traditional uh, career path, at least in terms of education. Uh, I've got, I've done both my undergrad and grad degree in um, computer science, studied AI uh, very much in theory at that time because we could not apply in practical life. And, um, um, and I also got an MBA, which gives me that business lens. So for me, the, the you know, career path has been you know, starting out more as a developer, a software engineer to be a DBA, uh, then managing data teams. And then when AI and uh, big data came into play, just naturally it went down that path from traditional OLTP or transactional databases to the world of business intelligence and data warehouse, and then on to AI and machine learning and big data. I think the unique factor that uh, I certainly didn't plan for it, Jonathan, it, it, but what I, you know, my career has shaped out to be has been able to work across several industries. Um, so, and also different sizes of companies. I've been in startups with you know, just 10 people in a, in a room, set up to you know, extremely large companies and conglomerates. Uh, and you know that diversity of the size of the company and also the diversity of the different industries I've been in whether it's financial services or telecom to trading companies and manufacturing and field services companies so and now at Deloitte I certainly get that broad view but my building up to my role at Deloitte it, it the background has certainly been interesting the only common thread that I kept throughout my career was to be always anchored in the data space. And um, the work that I do at Deloitte is really, uh, you know, uh, there are two, two key roles that I play at Deloitte. One is really focused around connecting all the different uh, AI dimensions for an, from an applied AI lens, because the AI ecosystem is extremely robust and evolving. There are startups, there is still new research happening, there are thought leaders, there's a lot of work happening in academia. At the same time, there are AI products that's that's coming into the market and AI is being applied in different industries. So how do you bring it all together in one place so that some, uh, a company that is just getting started or that even further in their journey, they can get ideas on how AI is being applied in different industries. And that's what we do with our global Deloitte AI Institute is really connecting all the dimensions of the AI ecosystem from the applied AI lens. The other role I play is really uh, a little bit more on the fuzzy area of AI ethics. And this is something again uh, you know, that I've learned through my experience, right? There is a lot of value that AI brings to us in our day-to-day lives and in companies across the world. But there's also certain uh, negative impacts that, that comes along with it. So really my focus is on uh, uh, how do we actually solve for ethics? I feel there is a lot of conversations and headlines around it. But my focus is really on how do we solve for uh, making sure that the AI solutions are trustworthy and that everything that we do is uh, is in an ethical way, and also helping uh, companies across the world think about ethics and how do we, how do how can they operationalize AI ethics in their organizations?
0: Yeah. So I mean, there, that's a lot of things, right? And. Uh uh a, a lot of topics that you just men- mentioned and um one of the things that i noticed is that um you you came basically to the bay area very very early on right i would say uh, considering considering that uh this you know, this uh, really technology-driven world that we're living in and all the, you know, the impact of these big companies that we, that we, that we have, you know, has been going on, on already for a while. And what I find very interesting is actually, because, you know, the Bay Area is, is if you think of it, it's kind of like the, um, the epicenter for, for innovation and, uh, you know, for radical thinking and with all of its history, how it basically got to, to where it is today. Uh, that that you have stayed in let's say these and worked in these different large uh, conglomerates as well that that you that you kind of uh, mentioned as well on the side and uh, so how how did you basically you know how did you stay basically there or how did you keep to manage (laughs) in that world while you know being in that in that ecosystem
1: Jonathan that is such an interesting question and I. You know, you're probably the first person who actually has asked me that question because it's very hard to stay in the Bay Area or Silicon Valley and not be just doing big tech or, you know, be focused on technology companies. And I think for me, it, uh, it was more of I've always been interested on um, the applications of technology not necessarily on the research aspect or just building you know technology for the sake of technology but it's also about how can it solve real world problems right and so for me something like uh, thinking about how can data be applied to uh, make financial compliance better in a bank or how can uh, data be used to predict a jet engine failure those are much more interesting problems for me that appeal to me. And I, I, it kind of um, anchored also on the thought on, okay, I know how data is being used in say in financial services. I need to, I wanna find out uh, how, how, how is it used in a factory floor or how is it used on a trading floor? So I think a part of it also has been that curiosity factor right not getting too comfortable in just one domain or subject but taking that data and ai space and seeing how is it being used in different industries how is it being applied and what are the common threads what can we learn so uh, i can tell you that uh, i don't think i planned for it but that curiosity and you know asking myself those questions and seeing that curiosity has led me to these different domains.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And also, I mean, you know, with these specific industries, um, especially, I mean, you know, if, if you think about like uh, manufacturing companies, you know, and like the these the industries which are not that easy to crack in a, from a technological perspective, right? If you, if you think about, uh, about yeah. machine learning or data science in, uh, let's say, consumer. Uh, centric or in a social world versus when you have heavy machinery or something like that, right so it's, uh, yes. it's a completely different setup although yes it's still I, I find it very um very interesting though that um you know knowing from experience the difficulty uh, of obviously you know getting technology um, especially when we talk about state of the art right into um you know, into uh, into scale and to get the impact that, that you need in a large uh, corporate, right? Um, yeah. That's, that this is quite challenging.
1: It, it is. And, you know, especially if you think about companies, like if, if you think of, you know, the technology native companies, they probably have existed in the last... 25, 30 years, right? They've created, but there have been, there are companies that have existed for hundreds of years before that, right? And they're not tech tech native or digital native, and they don't necessarily have all the data captured in a way that's usable their challenges around ethics may not be as much about fairness and bias, but more about the reliability or security of the data that's being used. So the challenges of e- using data and AI in non-tech native companies are completely different, but also powerful, right? Because those companies are really either it is powering the world or powering the hospitals. There is so much happening in non-tech native. So it, Bridging that gap for me has been very exciting, right? Uh, And uh, also bringing that perspective that look, there is clearly you know there are tech-native, digital-native companies, and then there are non-tech-native companies, and they need to be addressed as well. Or even from an industry perspective, right? Like you know, technology can be used in say, for example, in farming and agriculture. Right, which is a core need for all of us humans, but not as much attention is paid there uh, you know, to it, wasn't paid to it like a few years ago as it is to traditional tech native companies. So I, so I, I see a lot of value and power in, in you know, expanding technology to other industries and the challenges are very, very different and complex compared to the digital native companies.
0: Yeah, so if from your experience, and because the thing is, I, you know, from personally, I, I know um, of these difficulties from my own per- experience, but also from talking to people that have been leading, you know, either innovation or data science um, at uh, some of the largest corporations that we have on this planet. And um, I, I know of these challenges. And so from your, from your experience, because, you know, as you said, some, some, some of these industries, right, um, there, first of all, there's not that many startups that you have there, especially right. If, if, um, let's say let, let's take the manufacturing industry, for example, right. Where the, um, the digital landscape, you know, where you have a lot of legacy systems, et cetera, right. Hasn't been built with strategy or something like that. Right. It's, uh, most of the time things, there are systems running where basically the company behind it is already kind of out of business or something like that. And there's people operating these systems, you know, it's a mess. So from your from your experience, how did you manage to a be in a in a in a place where nothing that or anything that you see seems to be very like you know cutting edge, et cetera. And then at the same time, you know, working out with teams how to how to scale in, in a in a in a company where, you know, I wouldn't say where people or let's say the business is agnostic against technology, but I mean, you know, yeah, it's a challenge.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I, I think uh, one, uh, one uh, big learning and uh, even when you and I are on, in this conversation are talking about technology, we are mostly talking about computer software and computer hardware, right? That's, that's our realm, whether there is cloud or AI or cyber, it's all in the context of computer software and hardware. But in a manufacturing company, or in a factory, technology means those big machines that are on the factory floor, right? And it, it's not necessarily the computer software or hardware that you know that is technology. So understanding, you know, that technology itself means different things to different companies, and the context is so important, yeah. right? Is it has been part of the learning curve. And the other big uh, part is also, you know, it, it's it's. Um, there is an education factor a learning factor both for somebody like me who's a digital native to go when i go into an environment like that to understand the business to understand you know what does technology mean for them or how is it, you know what kind of data is captured and also to help educate the, my stakeholders and the end users on what are the values that software and hardware can bring to a business that has be, you know, succeeded for the last, you know, several decades without software, hardware, or without AI, right? So I think there's a lot of learning that needs to be happening, and that learning also means you have to be open to it on both sides. So you know, changing uh, or evolve, changing my own mindset, but also helping, uh, you know, drive that cultural change that needs to be happening. Right within the organization, that is important because at the end of the day, you, know, you can bring in the best data scientists, uh, the best engineers to uh, you know, build an AI solution that has the best accuracy rate, but if the end user does not use it, it's a failed project. So you know, educating and making the end user part of the, uh, um, the AI solution is, is super crucial. So there's a cultural impact, there is learning and education that needs to happen. There needs to be a partnership that needs to happen between the subject matter experts within the company and the technologists, the data science teams that's coming to the table, right? So there's a lot of collaboration. So it's not so much a technology problem as it is a people and process problem to solve. So once you, you know, and that's been my biggest learning is to, understand, uh, to actually step out from the technology comfort zone and say, okay, how do we actually help enable the workforce to be ready to accept this technology? What kind of process changes need to happen and how do we fit it into the existing process instead of disrupting? Because as you know, with AI, there's a lot of fear and hype that comes with it, right? Uh, we, we hear a lot about AI taking away jobs. So you know it's almost all uh, to uh, you know to then go down as as part of the project to think about what kind of skills will be needed. How do we upskill the existing workforce? How do we drive that buy-in from the existing workforce? So thinking through all these gray, fuzzy areas, and coming up with the plan is part of being a technology role in a, when you are part of a, a legacy business, because th- there is a lot of inherent um, challenges that come with just driving adoption.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's you, you put it perfectly. So people and processes and, um, you know, that, that's a funny thing. If you're in a large uh, traditional company, you know, and... So it's, it's, it's really all, of, all about that, uh, you know, that, that you do in order to do the cool things that you want to do, maybe as a technology native person, you know, first and foremost, uh, the hardest part of it and the hardest, uh, let's say the things that take most of the time is actually working with the people and, and you know, uh, working with the existing processes and, and trying to, you know, to change things. And, and I guess that's for a lot of people that get into a large organization as a digital native you know the frustration kind of that hits first you know
1: and yeah yeah the other part i'll share is you know i'm not by no means am i saying that the technology part is easy that is hard as well especially for ai right you need data and many of these companies are not data native they don't capture the data in a format that ai can use right away uh, i still remember this was almost a decade ago now the first time uh, you know when i w- was looking at the I- uh, data in an iot context right mm-hmm. data generated by machines and you know in my naivety i assumed that oh it's going to be data generated by machines of course it's going to be perfect right data quality issues are going to be minimal and it's not true Right? There is, you know, even the data that gets captured by machines, there there are so many data quality issues that you need to address. The other challenge you'd run into is not having the right kind of data because you have to understand that legacy uh, organizations did not necessarily capture the data with a view to driving insights or AI, building AI solutions. It was captured more for transactional purposes. So you may not be capturing the right types of data that you would need to build the models. The third aspect from a data perspective is the, 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 you know, where the data sits, right? It doesn't sit in nicely formatted files in a database that you can tap into. Uh, It doesn't, sometimes it's not even in a database, or, you know, I've certainly seen when it was, uh, when it's production level data sitting in Excel files, and even that is better but the uh, you know one of the biggest challenges that i've seen is when uh, think about you know service records they're usually sitting on paper in handwritten scribbled notes so there's a lot of preparatory work that needs to go in to just make the data ready for ai so the technology part is equally complex um, and oh and once you have all the data you still need to have the subject matter expert or the domain expert to be able to give you the context right to help build out that metadata or the data dictionary so that you can build a, the ai models so there is a lot of preparatory work pre-engineering work that needs to be done before ai even comes into the picture right. so you know i think the technology part is equally hard uh, and but most, uh, you know, if you have an engineering or science background, you can tackle it. It's a people and process part that's where you, you know, leaders have to really step up and think about more holistically and not just focus on technology.
0: Right. So, before we jump into uh, what you do nowadays, you know, you are also the uh, founder of a nonprofit organization, and uh, which I also find uh, quite interesting. You know, it would be great if you could kind of give us kind of the elevator pitch, and uh, but most importantly, what what was this? What is the kind of the story behind it? Uh, You know, uh, why why did you guys start it? Or um...
1: yeah, yeah, no. So the nonprofit I started, it's called Humans for AI, and uh, really, it came uh, from a frustration of not seeing enough women or people of color and underrepresented minorities in the AI space. And I think AI actually opens opportunities for uh, for more diversity to be part of AI. We hear a lot about uh, you know, the lack of uh, fairness in AI, the lack of uh, you know, uh, the, the lack of diver- uh, ethics in AI. The conversation is always on ethics, right? And I think that one of the easiest way to solve it is by making your teams as diverse as possible. And AI actually gives an opportunity for non-technical people to be part of AI. And the reason is, again, going back to my last previous question, answer, you know, you need subject matter experts involved in AI. You need uh, testers who are more domain experts involved in AI. There is a myth that you need a PhD in machine learning or AI to be part of the AI space, to be part of a data science team, and that's really just a myth having built a, a few data science teams in my uh, career now uh, you know i can confidently tell you you absolutely need the data scientists you need the phd's and i love them but you also need other skill sets you need the designers you need the human centric designers who can make that ai more relevant for the user who can think about you know, how can they drive adoption of the AI product? Uh, You need the product managers who understand the domain, you need project managers, you need testers, you need data labelers who who are more of the domain experts. So the reason for setting up Humans for AI was really to make sure that we can make every human being literate about AI concepts so that they can fill in these roles but, at the, you know, that's a, a higher level expectation, but at the very minimum, they should understand enough about AI so that they can be part of the conversation so that when they hear a podcast like yours and you're talking about AI, they actually understand it in their, in their head that this is what, you know, AI means. And that's a missing gap today in the world I see is that there is a lot of effort put into teaching girls or underrepresented minorities into coding or into you know uh, even for ai right but you know, i think if we have basic you know, ai concepts explained and understandable to the teachers to the accountants to the hr professionals it is it is going to empower all of them it's going to not only you know help bring diversity but it's also going to make them better ai users and consumers and have a voice in all the uh, you know policy making or regulation discussions that are happening, or at the very minimum, understand AI related news.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you know one of one of the one of the f- things that I that I saw as well is that I mean you're still heavily involved with education, right? And so one of the goals as well, as you said from the more Yes. Education. However, you know, yeah. the, the, you know, the challenge, however, is not that. You know there is um there's a problem of let's say uh education being available right i mean the thing is now you need internet and then you have access to education right it's more or less kind of you know guiding people and raising awareness which is the bigger part of it because the thing is you know everything is already online we've we've solved that thing you know um you can you can learn what ai is wherever you are in um you know in the world and now with, um, you know, initiatives such as Starlink or whatever, you know, you, people that don't have internet yet, you know, soon they will, we will get there that everybody will have uh, internet and then, but, it, but it's not about that, right? It's really about raising the awareness that, you know, this is something that is there, which is important, and that you need to pay attention to.
1: Yeah, it's a, uh, you know, and that's exactly what we're trying to do with Humans for AI. So, Humans for AI is fully volunteer run, and uh, we have a number of uh, volunteers spread out across the world. And, uh, you know, we do it through events, uh, meetups, now, of course, virtual in this world, uh, but, you know, through events, through uh, training programs, through partnerships with other nonprofits or universities and making sure that uh, you know we are driving the message uh, that ai everybody should understand the basic concepts of ai it's not just for uh, the technical or it folks it is for every human being uh, to be a part of the ai journey so uh, so I, I i would encourage your uh, listeners to take a look at humansforai.org or humansforai.com and they have pretty global presence, so would love to have your listeners join in on the journey.
0: Yeah, sounds good. So, w- what are you um, doing today? So, you are with Deloitte, and uh, my number one question, obviously, uh, that I have is uh, why Deloitte? You know, why? Yeah. Join Deloitte.
1: Yeah, two two reasons, uh, Jonathan. As I as I said, you know, I have worked in a number of industries, and you know. Uh, it was every time my curiosity led me, if I got too comfortable in a role, if I felt that I know enough about this industry it, and my curiosity would take over and, oh, I want to see how they do this in the, in that space, right? So it was, you know, more of uh, that led me down this career mosaic of different industries and Deloitte gives me that opportunity to look at all industries in one place That's, that's one reason, but I think the bigger reason is really around ethics, right? Uh, What, uh, what I've seen is, you know, when we talk about ethics and AI, it, uh, in general, it tends to very quickly go down this narrow path of fairness and bias. And I think ethics is much broader and needs to be, we need to go down a level below and see what does ethics mean for different industries. And uh, you know, it, it because the ethical implications are going to be different based on the industry and even based on the use case, right? Say uh, you know, if uh, for for example, or we'll stick to the factory floor example, right? When you are trying to predict machine failure on a in a manufacturing plant or in a factory fairness and bias really is not an ethical factor as much as uh, the reliability of the algorithm or the security of the algorithm so that nobody can hack into it, right? Ethical implications is all the negative implications of using AI. And, you know, I think ethics means different things for different um, industries and different use cases. Uh, So what, what... What I had the opportunity with Deloitte to do is to really put that, put a structure around it and be able to make progress to moving from just from conversation to actually solving for it. Because with Deloitte's capabilities around consulting, the technology expertise and process, which is our advisory expertise, and then our audit, right, which is really around governance and controls right? To solve for ethics, you need to look across all these three dimensions of technology, process, and people. And Deloitte has all that, you know, subject matter expertise. So for me to solve for ethics, I can't think of a better place than Deloitte to bring that together and actually operationalize it for large organizations and solve for ethics.
0: Right, yeah, that's, I mean, sounds definitely... uh logical to me but uh so you know if, if you could give us some insights so what are some of the things that you do or you know i mean are you just yeah. the, the typical advisory uh you know um tasks that you guys yeah. have or is there spe- special specific projects that you are working uh, working on or building up uh kind of from a deloitte kind of perspective
1: yeah yeah no we have built a the, um a solution around solving for AI ethics. It is under our trustworthy AI. We believe trust should be at the center of every AI solution or product. And there are uh, about six dimensions that you know, companies need to uh, identify. And the project that I work on is really think, uh, you know, building out that playbook and the technologies that's needed uh, to solve for trustworthy AI. So what do I mean by that? So you know, from a technology perspective, it is more about you know, being able to assess an AI solution and see where it falls on these six dimensions, and also being able to put in the guardrails in existing AI solutions to make sure that they are ethical and aligned with the principles. On the process side, it is really looking at existing processes to see what kind of checkpoints need to be put into existing processes, what kind of controls need to be there. I'll give you a very simple example, something as simple as like, you know, and you've done this in your prior lives, I'm sure, right? When you're doing a technology project, uh, every project team focuses on the ROI, right? What how much revenue can I get or how much cost savings can I get by doing this technology project, right? That's, that's a very big focus, you know, in uh, one year, one year ROI, five year ROI, you know, you have all these plans laid out uh, in that process itself, if you put in just one additional step of saying, okay, you know, we see the ROI, what other ways this could go wrong, right? Forcing the, you know, making it part of the process, forcing the team to think through what are the ways this could go wrong so that you can proactively then put in the guardrails in place. So that's what I mean for, by a process. And then from a people perspective, it's very much around education, but also about what roles need to be there. You need to hire an Is Should there be a chief AI ethics officer? What, you know, where does it sit? What's their, you know, how do you make that role successful? So thinking more from a people perspective. So we look at it very holistically, and we look uh, that there, there is a team which is cross-functional, cross businesses from Deloitte that works together to solve for it. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just add one more thing to it, Jonathan. So you know, because I've just taken on a new role which goes beyond AI. Like with AI and ethics, we are playing a lot of catch-up, right? but there is a uh, you know there are a lot of emerging technologies so we we are putting in a lot of effort around seeing uh, you know how do we get ahead for the other emerging technologies like what does ethics mean for quantum computing what does ethics mean for blockchain what does ethics mean for um the ar and vr right so uh, you know that that's a new role that i'm very excited about because that is something we we have an opportunity to actually get ahead of the game in terms of not having to wait for things to go wrong and then fix it, which is what we're doing with AI. But with other technologies, while it's still emerging, can be, you know, in fact, pa- you know, we know the value creation can we, in parallel figure out what are the negative implications and how do you mitigate it so that we don't have to play catch up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think. you know, the biggest challenge is always how do you balance between moving things forward and then, you know, asking exactly this question. Right. So what can go wrong? So I mean, yeah, just from my personal perspective. Right. So there's I mean, there's a lot of discussion. I mean, technological innovation and obviously the economic benefit it brings um, to a nation um, is is obviously a big thing. Right. Also on a political uh, spectrum. So one of the big, I mean, there's big discussions between. So, for example, right, if we take AI, right, so um, you know, how far or how, um, how what wh- what are the uh, developments and and you know what countries leading with AI, etc., right? And so, for example, if you look at the European Union, right, where obviously this entire ethics discussion around AI plays a very very central role, and sometimes you know, I mean, I talk to a lot of people in the AI space and. Um, so one of the one of their and in Europe, for example, one of their concerns is that you know um, before things are moving forward, right, or uh, before things are built or tried out or whatever, there's already the discussion of okay, what could go wrong, right? So the question is of like, how do you balance that? Because balance in whatever one is doing in life, balance is always the most difficult part, right? And yeah. So how do you see that across, I mean, because Deloitte is obviously also, you know, uh, operating globally and um, yeah. I mean, there's different approaches that you see. in let's say those. Yeah. if we divide the world, let's say in an AI spectrum in these three regions that are always kind of talked about. So with the US, China and U- Europe, for example, right, um, uh, between, between that, how do you see that kind of you know, this discussion and the approach yeah. towards developing applications or working on in innovative technologies in an, in an ethics um, context.
1: I know, I know, and I think this is where my uh, background in working in traditional legacy industries and in startups, you know, uh, gives me that this perspective that, right? We think this, this whole thing is new and, you know, and nobody has solved it before, but there are so many parallels, right? Whether you look at bioethics and how you know regulations were developed in um, say the automotive industry, right? Uh, there were no you know speed limits set till cars you know got on the road, right? There were no lanes. So if you you know very crude example is think of AI as you know there is the engine is being still being developed. There are some cars on the road. We don't have the speed limits set we don't have the lanes drawn out we don't sometimes we don't even have the roads built to accommodate the cars right which is ai so you know we will figure out in parallel and the reality is that the speed limits in germany are going to be very different than the speed limits in the us yeah. right it is i don't think it is uh, it is valid to th- uh, uh, expect the speed limit to be the same everywhere in the world Right. And this is not new. There is going to be differences depending on which part of the world you are in. What is culturally acceptable, what is geographically acceptable is going to be different in different countries. And this has happened no matter which industry you take. You know, just look at the industries that existed 30 years before. There are examples that exist. We just need to look at the history and, you know, learn from it and say, okay, you know, we just need to think through this and figure out what the speed limit would be for Germany and AI, what the speed limit would be for US and AI and for any of the other countries, right? It is, uh, it's not going to be a one speed limit for every country or every region. Uh, I think the the debate, it is, um, we live in the world of clickbait headlines and so it is very uh, easy to overly dramatize you know, these questions, but there are real intellectuals working on actually solving for it, right? And that needs a level of thought that is at a more detailed level and is probably not as much, you know, headline as you know, saying, oh, you know, AI has no rules. Or you know why is it going to be different? Of course, it's going to be different. Look at other industries, right? So that's that's my take on it. I think it is uh, you know it is not fair to oversimplify it, and also it's not it's not uh, you know it's it's really uh, pompous to think that you know the uh, humanity and the world hasn't faced and dealt with similar problems in the past. I think I think we will figure it out. It's going to take time. It's just that we live in the era of social media and, you know, catchy headlines. So everything gets overly dramatized, but I know there's a lot of work being put into thinking, putting into thoughtful policies, thoughtful guidelines and regulations. So there, there is a lot of precedent that we're learning from and that I, I think we will have this figured out in the next five to 10 years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, kind of as a last question for today, um, how much are you involved or how, how, how deeply are you looking into, uh, let's say, I mean, sitting obviously at the source uh, for, for a, a longer time into the startup ecosystem. So, um, you know, where, where I want to, uh, or the kind of the last question for, for today that I would like to go into is, you know, what is something that you are looking into right now where you say like, okay, this is from a, let's say it could be a technology perspective, uh, you know, technology perspective or like a specific startup or whatever, you know, it's like something in, in, the, in, that, in that direction where you say like, okay, this is super interesting. People should have this on their radar, you know, uh, or, you know, personally from your interest, um, that would be great.
1: Yeah. The times that we live in right now, the focus is very much around healthcare and, um, you know, dealing with the pandemic and coming up with a cure and making it rapidly um, available to everybody, right? Uh, so in the healthcare space, you know, uh, the a, anything to do with telemedicine, uh, uh, whether it is, it, it may not be just AI technologies, but being able to use digital reality technologies to make healthcare accessible. That for me is uh, something very fascinating. And I see a number of startups coming there uh, the other one is uh, really on these uh, legacy industries like um, education or agriculture, you know, where there hasn't been as much disruption, but uh, now it probably is ready for it. If you think about education, you know, even with the uh, uh, the pandemic and the era we lived through, right? It's always been one teacher, multiple students, right? And I'm thinking about like, you know, school, high school, middle school level education. Uh, What AI can enable is making it more um, personalized, right? We talk about personalized marketing and advertising, but really the power is when you make healthcare more personalized, you make education more personalized because the reality is uh, even in education, people learn differently. I, 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 I have two two kids, and you know, each one of them learns differently. I know my older one likes to read, and you know, he absorbs in a class environment. My younger one is more visual, and he learns by watching videos or seeing a picture, right? So you know, there are there are, uh, f- from so there are six different ways humans can learn, and so being able to provide that personalized level of education. Can you think of the brain power that will unleash? So things like that, you know, and looking at these traditional legacy industries that are right for adoption, you know, those are those are the areas that I'm really fascinated by and keeping an eye on.
0: Okay, perfect. Vina. thanks. It was a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you, Jonathan. It was a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you all.